Hello and welcome to the Not The Top 20 podcast. My name's Ali Maxwell. I've got George Ellick alongside me. We're talking all things EFL. And not to get too sentimental, but it feels like a homecoming podcast of sorts. George, to his immense credit, having been very busy over the last few weeks with his proper job uh, work-wise with Cheltenham Festival, especially at the forefront. And we enjoyed a nice day there together last Tuesday. Uh, But it's so nice to be back side by side. George, you you texted me earlier saying, I've literally been phoning it in. And that's true, because the last few pods have been on the phone. (laughs) But quality's still high, but it's nice to be back together. Yeah, it is. Um, it looks like you've lost about a stone since I last saw you, which is very good. Ali, you ran a half marathon yesterday, so you hobbled in to the studio today to record. But um, yeah, as I said, I was, I'm looking forward to this because it hasn't been ideal prep. I kind of feel like I've been playing, you know, and, and football manager, when you've got the injury, the orange injury, you're not, you know you're playing, but you're not quite there. And now I feel like I'm back to full fitness here. I don't understand how anyone could physically do a full marathon. So if there's any listeners who have ever done that, uh, fair enough. It was the one thing that got me round Hampton Court yesterday doing the half was uh, the, the the idea that I only had to do 13.1 miles rather than 26.2. Absolutely uh, unbelievable. I wanted to give a quick shout out, very random this, but to our uh, those of you who are listening through Spotify, uh, we, we managed to get on Spotify a few months ago, didn't we? And we haven't really pushed it particularly, but um, that's now where I listen to all my podcasts and I think that generally uh, it's, it's probably a good place to listen to the Not The Top 20 part so shout out to the Spotify yeah, listeners. Slow progress to start with but suddenly we've seen a spike so we thought we'd better doff our cap to you to say thanks. Welcome, welcome and hello. Um, we're going to talk about all sorts because Lord knows plenty happened on the weekend as it tends to across the EFL. Uh, there, there was a full uh, fixture list in midweek as well wasn't there and there was plenty that went on so, so plenty to touch on. Uh, I just wanted to to note, because we won't dwell on too much midweek stuff, it's just too much to go through individually, but in last week's midweek round of fixtures, we had the following uh, three crosses flying into the top corner, which was uh, because of the the exceptional conditions, the the wind especially, that's been plaguing the nation over the last uh, week or so. But yeah, three crosses, I think one in each league as well, I think it was Colback from Forest, Pierce and Scunthorpe and Norwood of Tranmere, all of them um, trying to cross and ending up scoring. Uh, we saw Bursant Salinas slipped, Penenka penalty go viral. It's been a great week for, for EFL viral videos. We saw Ilias Chair score from 70 yards. And then three days later on the weekend, he scored from 35 yards. Um, and George, mainly two Dion Dublin goals in the space of four days. Weird that. What has happened? When I saw the second one, I thought that's weird. That looked different when I first saw it. And then I realised it was a different goal. So, <laughs> so midweek, Hallam Hope yeah. ran up behind the Notts County goal. Hallam Hope was, was more Dion, where you could see him there for about 10 <laughs> seconds before just waiting and waiting. Whereas the other, the other one was so opportune. He was just jogging back, basically. And, and the just keeper saw... looked round. How did he not see him? Felt, felt very bad for Remy Matthews. Not at all what, what, uh, what he or what Bolton needed at that time. But again, just the, both of those goals, tens of thousands of retweets on Twitter. And um, yeah, basically what is going on in the EFL? Uh, as well as that, we've obviously got a League One relegation battle that, um, that basically consists of 13 teams. Uh, the championship playoff battle has tightened up considerably. Uh, and at the top is where we're going to start. And George, that leads Sheffield United game on Saturday lunchtime. Uh, there's, there's, there's plenty to delve into, really. It was a game, as we were hoping, that was played very much on a knife edge throughout. And uh, ultimately, Chris Wilder's Sheffield United go above Leeds in the table. How much 
was that a Chris Wilder masterclass for you? Yeah, it was. It's, it's interesting because we've often uh, praised Chris Wilder's Sheffield United this season for being such an expansive football team. And you look at these two massive results they've, they've picked up in the last week or so against, um, against Brentford and against Leeds. And in both games, they have com- had a completely different approach to the game. It, it's more like the Chris Wilder of old, I'd say, pragmatic, understanding that having the ball uh, at all times isn't necessarily the most important thing. Um, hearing his interview with Colin Murray on the Quest highlight show afterwards, him saying that you know, good old-fashioned defending and just kicking, getting the ball away from goal is maybe undervalued these days. And we've seen the you know, we've seen the tactical flexibility of, of Wilder this season so often. I mean, and it was typical that, that their goal came from a, a, a trademark lung-busting run from Chris Basham, who, of course, was deployed in more of a midfield role than we're used to him being rather than the right-hand side of the back three. But even so, he's still a player that Wilder's completely revolutionised. Mm. Um, and I don't think he'd have envisaged himself scoring those, those kind of goals a couple of years ago. So he these performances on their own maybe aren't as impressive as, as a football team um, and maybe to people who, who have, hadn't seen much of Sheffield United this season and watched the two games or watched the Leeds game alone would have been a bit surprised to see the way they played. But they restricted Leeds very well indeed. They, they faced a, a barrage early on. I mean, I think Jack Harrison will know that he should have done a lot better with that chance um, early on. I think that playing Pablo out on the wide right was a big mistake. We've seen this season how much Leeds have improved since they've moved him to a central area, but they're having to accommodate um, players now into positions, which meant that they were quite easy to defend against. And Pablo, obviously, generally the player... He still sparkled in the first half hour, it, Pablo. <laughs> there's, no, there's no denying his qualities. And I think that just shows... But, you know, you speak to Leeds fans about Pablo and where he's best, and they'll consistently tell you that he's, he's in his best when he's playing through the middle. We saw early in the season he was uh, shunted out to the left wing and he wasn't as effective there. So it's, it's a massive result for them, um, for Leeds... It's, it's a huge blow to have, you know, if the fans looked at this fixture list a couple of weeks ago and saw the Norwich game and the Sheffield United game, uh, to get naught points from those two is, is, is pretty unthinkable. Um, and just scoring the one goal, which, which was a Bamford consolation, isn't great. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. This meant, obviously, that Sheffield United now one point above Leeds uh, in terms of points. It, it was such a close game, wasn't it? And this, this was a game that was decided on Sheffield United capitalising on one or two errors from Leeds in a, in, in a way that was very, well, just swift execution, essentially, and, and a game that ultimately Leeds did really dominate in terms of in terms of having the ball and in terms of creating the chances in possession but uh, i felt a bit bad we got we got a tweet from a leeds fan after the game and, and obviously emotions are high at that stage he basically finished it saying i guess playoffs it is for us and i'm not sure i agree with that necessarily it is only one point uh, there's still eight games to go there's still 24 points to play for basically as far as i can tell the top three all have relatively comfortable run-ins. So there's still a lot of pressure. And the pressure is now mostly on Sheffield United. They've got a game against Bristol City after the international break. Leeds at home to Millwall. Now, no game is easy, of course. And Millwall have caused Leeds plenty of trouble in the last 18 months or so. But, you know, it, it's not out of the question that the next time we talk about the championship in two weeks' time, Leeds might be above Sheffield United. They might have got a draw or something against Bristol City. It's so close. And, I, and this was not a collapse from Leeds. This wasn't even a particularly poor performance aside from one or two individual errors. This, this meant a lot in terms of the league table in the sense that if they'd drawn or won, they would have really been in the driving seat. But 
it's not a disaster. It's not even a collapse. It's not a bottle job of any kind. I, I still don't think this is sewn up. I don't think this is done yet. Yeah, I agree. Um, and they largely have to play. I mean, looking at Sheffield United and um, and Leeds' fixtures in isolation, they're, they're largely playing similar teams. They both got to play Preston. They both got to play Birmingham. They both both got to play Millwall. So. It, it, it really is tight. Um, you do feel like both teams have been a bit unlucky there where they're playing teams who uh, who are coming into some form. Leeds also have to face Brentford and Villa. Uh, Brentford at Griffin Park and, and Villa at home, two teams who a couple of months ago wouldn't have held much to fear, but in their current guise, it's a completely different story. Um, and then closing day uh, away at Ipswich, who seem to be making a bit of a season this season of of getting relegated and bringing down opponents' um, runs with one-all draws. Um, consistently doing that as they did again to Nottingham Forest on, uh, on the weekend. So, as you say, it, if you're a Leeds fan, um, it, it's two defeats in the last six, four of those are victories. Um, the form, I don't think, has necessarily dipped. I think they showed enough on Saturday again to, to probably get a point from the game. It's just, you know, as football games go, Sheffield United put one chance away and they were unable to do so. That's not going to signify the end of the season. Um, plenty more twists and turns yet. And even if they don't finish in the top two, um, I'll, I'd be pretty confident to say that at some stage in the run-up to the season, they'll occupy second spot again. Yeah, my last word on this, uh, again, just touching on, on Basham and the fact that he was deployed in midfield, it, it meant that Sheffield United, certainly to start the game, really struggled to, to progress the ball in any way, and they were under the cosh massively. And Wilder said himself that because Basham kept giving it away in midfield, perhaps not used to the frenetic pace that Leeds press with, in that area and he almost took him off after half an hour but I, I, it did make sense when you think about it just it, there's no shame in being reactionary to the opposition and Leeds at home are a hell of a prospect um, to put Basham in that midfield to help Norwood and Fleck out with the essentially the, the pace and the movement of the ball that Leeds provide when they're in possession um, for Basham to give them that little bit of extra cover and, and to be part of that well, group of defenders who seem to be blocking and clearing everything. But then also, you know, I, I did wonder, given that we know from what he has said, that Bielsa basically knows every formation and every bit of personnel selection that every team has made in every game this season and, and probably last season as well, whether, you know, that while they're putting Basham in midfield was a bit of a wild card and, and potentially... And we don't know, of course, but potentially took Leeds a little bit by surprise. And, you know, he had a great chance at the end of the first half and then scored the goal in the second half. He was the one galloping forward from midfield. And that might have been a bit of a surprise to a team who are, are so well prepared in, in Leeds. So um, a, an amazing game, that one. And, and we've got an equivalent tonight in League One, uh, sorry, in League Two. Uh, we're not going to really preview Lincoln Mansfield because by the time we release this, the game will be just kicking off. Um, but that is another huge game. It's on Sky Sports. So if you listen in time, please do catch that. It's another massive game at the top of, uh, of, of League Two and huge impact on the promotion uh, battle there. George Norwich are now clear at the top by a good few points now. They beat Rotherham. They've won six in a row, eight of their last nine. It's an astonishing run. To what extent are they coasting to the Premier League now? Yeah, they, they look to be well clear of the other two. I mean, as we've just said, we should reiterate that there are a lot of games to go a four-point cushion um, can be cut very quickly, especially when you've got teams such as Sheffield United Leeds picking up points the way they are. Um, this was a massive banana skin for them as well, as I've been quick to point out many times, despite Rotherham's um, obvious shortcomings in some areas, their home form uh, remains very, very good indeed. Uh, they've actually won the same amount of home matches, sorry, lost the same amount of home matches as Norwich before this game. Um, so to go there, I mean, and they were very, very good value for their win, Norwich as well. I think that Rotherham's display was battling 
Um, again, I heard the commentator on the highlight show say that uh, say that it was a deserved equaliser from Semi Ajay. The numbers don't really agree with that. I think they posted a 0.04 xG for the for the match. I think that was the only shot um, that they took. So it, it's a typical Rotherham performance of, of full of gusto and full of guts, but eventually outclassed by a team who continue to really impress. I'm, I'm I'm not convinced necessarily that Norwich are playing the football maybe that we saw them playing a few a couple of weeks ago. Um, maybe since the Leeds game, um, but I think just the sheer professionalism and the way they're getting it done now. Yeah, does it- any team who plays really, really nice stuff? Can any team truly maintain it for forty-six games? I can't remember. You know, Wolves were utterly dominant last year, but you, you know, it, I was going to say that it's a huge bonus, and, and I know that's what you were going to say, and it speaks so much to the the skills that Varker has shown in managing this team and the quality of the players that. They, they aren't necessarily, you're absolutely right, playing this amazing style of football or haven't been in the last few games. They've shown different ways to win and, and in order to win automatic promotion in this league, you do have to become a, a sort of winning machine. There's normally two or three each season and Norwich have turned themselves into that. Um, I, I think it's, it's notable when you see that Kenny McLean scored again uh, to, to just touch on their depth and, and the quote-unquote sort of reserve players who have stepped in at, at key times this season. They truly have not lost out when players have been injured and that is such a huge thing because we see other teams um, really stumble when they do so they've had especially in defensive midfield a huge amount of contributors at the start of the season it was very much Aaron's Zimmerman Closer and Lewis and then Closer got injured Godfrey stepped in now Closer can't get back in the team uh, in midfield that midfield two in the 4-2-3-1 there's been at least five players really who have who have hugely contributed to where they are now Leitner and Vrancic, sort of, they seem to have the most quality, uh, out, outward obvious quality, but Kenny McLean has contributed. Tom Tribal played on the weekend and, and was, to all intents and purposes, their best player. And Tetty, who's played more minutes than all of them this season. So, you know, at the top end of the pitch, it's a bit more straightforward when, when Dia, Steeperman, Hernandez and Puki. Um, but again, it, they, they've had that depth uh, and that's been key for them. And another semi-Ajayi goal. Six, six goals <laughs> in five games. It seems ridiculous. I mean, I and you, think, but you called it early on. To be fair, yeah. So, so I, I managed to find some stats on on Instat, which basically told me that he was the defender in the championship that had had the second most amount of shots. I think behind Flint, probably, but he hadn't scored any goals. And at that point, but this was more with betting in mind, wasn't it? You know, his prices to score first in these games, especially with Rotherham's aerial threat was so long so I flagged him up to you and uh, and he didn't score for a while and now he's got six in five so um, yeah I mean the interesting thing is three of his goals have been absolute bangers from outside the box so showing a bit of uh, another side to his game and um, is a very impressive player for them I think uh, what about West Brom uh, George obviously last time we spoke fairly in depth about Darren Moore on last Monday's podcast he had been sacked on the Saturday evening two wins in a row under the caretaker Jimmy Shan um, probably not one to dwell on hugely that win in midweek against Swansea it was one of the weirdest games I think I've ever seen and, and to all intents and purposes West Brom played pretty badly but managed to win 3-0 um, but cannot take anything away from an away win at Griffin Park can you? No huge um, I thought they'd struggle here um, it's another game where it seems the balance of play was, um, was, was fairly level if not towards Brentford I think Brentford fans came away feeling quite aggrieved that they Hadn't got something out of it. But um, again, it's it's another example of being unconvinced by this West Brom team. This West Brom team um, picking up points when you don't expect them to. It's got to be a sign of the quality they've got in the team. But either way, you have to wonder 
if they've got the sustainability to to continue this challenge. As you say, they've they've, they've picked up six points since Darren Moore left, um, which will give them a huge boost. But there's not a massive change in the performances themselves, really, to show why that's happened. New manager expected, I think, in the coming days, and no one seems to have leaked who it's going to be, which is a bit of a blow for us recording at this time. It, it's it's possible that. By the time you are listening, uh, friends, that they might have a new man in charge, uh, whether it's Jokanovic. I've seen Alex Neal mentioned a few times. I, I just, my gut feeling is that that would be a very surprising time for him to leave. Jokanovic would make a bit more sense. He wouldn't have too much time to make an impact. I think um, we, we won't really speculate too much on that at the moment. We'll wait to comment when there is a manager uh, appointed. Uh, the real positive was an amazing goal from Kyle Edwards. Um, Kyle Edwards is one of a number of impressive West Brom youth products. And we spoke about that with uh, Connor Rowden on the podcast back in January. Uh, West Brom have been doing very, very well uh, in, in the youth development sense, if not on the pitch at senior level. And there was a really nice line from Matt Wilson, the local journalist, who said, Edwards has been at the baggie since he was six. He waited 15 years for his moment. He's seen all his friends get their chances first. Jonathan Lecco, Sam Field, Rakeem Harper, but now it was his turn and it was a sensational goal. So a really positive day and a, a happy one. It must be weird being, you know, every club's got a few fans who go to like, go to the away games but probably don't go to the home games. Mm. Like not many, but a couple. Must be such a big difference between the Baggies fans who've only seen them at home this season and the yeah. Baggies fans who watch them away. Um, well, similar, similar for Brentford fans who only go away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, B's chance of, of a playoff spot were slim, but now they look very slim indeed. Unlike George Aston Villa, who fired their way into the playoff spots. Uh, it's been an amazing turnaround. Before they played Birmingham last Sunday, so there'd been a load of fixtures obviously on the Saturday. So uh, Villa went into that game 14th in the league uh, and three wins since then. They're in the top six for the first time since September. They played against Middlesbrough. They were 10 points behind them and now it's just one. How much are you fancying this Villa team right now and why? Yeah, massively. I, I think there just doesn't seem to me to be a, any reason to think that they're not going to be in the playoffs at the end of the season since... I mean, I'm not going to go into it too much because it, it gets quite boring. But since Jack Greed has just come back into the team, they're a completely different unit. Their ability um, to dominate matches, to have that outlet of someone who can get the ball out of tight areas, who can release them on the break, who can win about 15 fouls every match. Um, and he's now, for those people who said the numbers weren't too good, he is regularly contributing uh, to goals and assists as well. Not that that really matters at the end of the day, but it'll please some people. So... Y Scout reckons seven successful dribbles from eight attempted, which uh, which is about what you'd expect. <laughs> He's yeah, and, and not what you'd expect from a normal player. And, and I should I think add. The, the key is with him is just how important how he can just completely change the way a team plays, both defensively and offensively. Um, you know, getting into another, not Twitter argument, but a debate with with someone today. You're very upset that he's not in the England squad. I'm not that upset. I'm not that upset. I, I just think I, I have a feeling that it's purely, you know, Southgate is managing him well um, just by saying, you know, you, you're playing at Villa, you're playing well, just keep doing what you're doing and we'll see where we are in the summer. Um, but the, the consistent discussion about him and Madison is doing my head in because um, if you try to make James Madison play the role that he's, Jack Greedish is currently playing for Aston Villa, I don't think he'd do particularly well if you ask Jack Greedish to go and play the role that James Madison's currently playing at Leicester. I don't think he'd do very well. So, um but it's it's been massive for them. It's been absolutely huge. And another player who's you know, on this playoff chat, um, who's similarly important to their team, I think, is Mason Mount. And I, I mean, I, I know Derby didn't play on Saturday, but 
conversely to Villa, who I really think are, are, are hitting their stride at exactly the right time. Um, Derby just look absolutely desperate. I mean, just two wins since Mount um, sustained his injury, um, a 2-0 home win against Hull and a 2-1 home win, a 2-1 home win against Wigan. Um, but in that time, they are slumping and slowly falling away. And I think, again, similar to um, to Hamport and Grealish, is I think without Mount, they are just completely sparkless. I mean, Harry Wilson is obviously a fantastic player, but he's having to play, be played kind of out of position because of, because of Mount not coming in playing a much deeper role, um, which doesn't suit him at all. And... Uh, there's talk that Mount might be fit to come back after the um, after the international break. It, it's it's a hell of a responsibility to be putting all of that on, onto his shoulders to try and get them back into the playoffs. But I think you're seeing in Villa and Derby a comparison of, of two key players, two fantastic talents at this level, arguably two of the best creative players in the league. And you're seeing one team and how much they're profiting from from their one being available in Grealish. And in the other, just it's, it's absolutely desperate at Derby at the moment. Um, and it's hard to have any positivity really about them at all. I did see a video of Frank Lampard doing uh, the Salt Bay uh, at the at the Salt Bay restaurant in, I think, Dubai or, or somewhere like that. So uh, very much getting a bit of winter warmth during the international break and, and hopefully... Frank can uh, can galvanise his squad and, and prove you wrong when they get back. Um, uh, George was at this one, said Villa oozing confidence all over the pitch since Grealish's return. Fantastic counter-pressing whenever out of possession, which strangled Borough, who themselves have been strangled by Pulis. McGinn, Whelan, Grealish and Mings, all outstanding. Mings has been a revelation since he's come in uh, in January and um, and yeah we've got to talk about Middlesbrough and Tony Pulis George and, and we're going to frame it the same way I'm pretty sure we framed it a couple of months ago when they went through a bad run and probably one or, one or two other times the question as always comes back to style of play and how quickly fans maybe boards and maybe players get rather bored and rather uninspired by a certain way of playing. A few weeks ago, I spoke very positively about Middlesbrough. I'd seen them play a few times and I was quite, I was quite into the way that they were getting results. Obviously, solid at the back as they are. They're still the best defence in the league, of course. But they were winning games. There were some unusual selections, some unusual formations. John O'B. McKell was playing well. I quite liked it. <laughs> but three defeats in a row now, Brentford, Preston and Villa... Um, the outrage when it's Pulis comes a lot quicker, doesn't it? Because of the style of play. Yeah, it does. And and I almost feel a bit... You, you look at the team that started on Saturday at Villa and it doesn't look to me on paper like a team who should necessarily be challenging for automatic promotion, really. I mean, who would you say are the standout performers in that team? Players who would walk into any... T- I mean, OK, let's take this for example. Which Middlesbrough team would walk into the Norwich team, the Sheffield United team. Which Middlesbrough least, player would walk yeah, into yeah, the Norwich exactly. team? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which one of the players that starts on Saturday? I don't think any of them. Uh, no, I mean, maybe Randolph. Definitely Randolph, in fact. I'm going definitely Randolph. Because you love Randolph. Yeah, I do. Well, I, and I think he's a lot better and than that, Tim But Pruitt. that's, I mean, yes. I, I, I'd say I, I, I take your possibly, point. Possibly another one. Um, maybe John Obi. No. <laughs> so suddenly you're starting to think that Middlesbrough obviously are, are, are a big club at this level and have got a good... You know, Tony Pulis is a big manager. It's not like this hasn't been um, expensively assembled, this this squad at all. But at the same time, it, it's fairly attritional. And you've got the likes of Dale Fry and Lewis Wing who, who are really having their first seasons at this level. Jordan Hugo is a player who, you know, I'm not a massive fan of either and, and how Preston managed to, to ship him off for the fee they got. Um, I don't think anyone has any regrets there whatsoever. So I'm not saying that Pulis is, is blameless here, but maybe the, the job that he was doing in getting them 
towards the top end of the table is better than he's than he's been given credit for. Yeah, well, we've seen that happen plenty of times, haven't we? I mean, the the big question is if it does become toxic and their next games are against Norwich and Bristol City at home, uh, it might get worse before it gets better. Of course, a big performance against Norwich and things will start to quiet down, you would imagine. If they miss the playoffs, it's very hard to imagine him staying beyond this summer. I know his contract is up and there hasn't been a lot of clarity regarding that situation. Um, would there be any merit, do you think, in, in doing a West Brom and essentially pressing the panic button and just trying desperately to get someone in who could... Uh, you know, galvanise them just on a really short-term basis? No, because I think in, in West Brom's occasion, there was there were clear deficiencies in how he's managing the team and there were clear... But the question I asked you earlier was which player from, from that team would get into the other teams. In, in West Brom's team, there'd be four or five. Um, so he was not getting the, the, the best out of the players available to him. Um, I think that the Pulis could be doing that. And I think that in a similar way, I guess, to, to how Mick McCarthy was viewed at Ipswich... I think that if they were to dispense of Pulis, that squad's the, the shortcomings of the squad would be very obvious very quickly, and I'd be looking at them unless they made an appointment which saw them able to completely revolutionise the playing staff over the summer. If they got someone in like Kukanovic and he was able to get rid of about fifteen players and bring fifteen in, then there'd be cause for that. But they, there's a reason why they invested in Tony Pulis, and they obviously were not looking for a certain style when they did so. Um, if you're looking at the players they brought in, as the aforementioned Hugill and, and Mikel, I think that they have obviously invested in him to be able to get the footballers in to get results the way he wants to rather than uh, playing fantastic football. So to tear that up now, I think would be a, would be a mistake, even if they drop out of the playoffs. Um, I, Do you have I, sympathy with, with what the fans, why they definitely. probably get anger, angrier quicker? I mean, when they when they win, it's fairly grim. When they draw, it's pretty horrendous. And when they lose, it is pretty much the worst viewing experience you can have. Definitely. I'm in no way criticising the, the fans for, for showing discontent at all. It's just, as a club, you know what you're going to get. And we praised him in the back end of last season um, for not playing poor football. And then I, it's easy to forget that the loss of Adama Traore on deadline day was just not ideal in any way, where I think Tony Pulis realised then that even with his attritional methods, he had someone um, on his wing who could scare the life into any defence. You know, even though it's not necessarily the big man up top brute, kick it into space for him to run onto and that's going to A, look quite good and B, probably get results. Um, and they couldn't do that. So, you know, in no way can I criticise fans who, who who don't like what they're seeing. But at the same time, if if the club uh, react to this poor run by sacking him, I think there aren't going to be many managers available who can do a better job with the players at, at their disposal well the debate rages on in our mention since we started recording there's there's one conversation going on about this very topic there's been 36 notifications during the time we've been speaking um, please get in touch with us at ntt20 pod on twitter is probably the best way if you've got some strong views on this especially if you're a borough fan i know that at the moment um there, there you know there's a bit of tension as there often is in different fan bases between fans who hold different opinions, between those who are um, who, who reckon they've been saying Pulis was was the wrong man for a while and now feel more and more justified, and those who um, are, are trying to stay a bit more patient and trying to understand that you know they are still in the playoff places and and, and maybe wait and see how it plays out. Regardless, uh, not great times recently. Unlike Preston North End, they beat Birmingham on the weekend. Uh, that was a 94th minute winner. Blues to my eyes, had the, the better chances in the game before that. 
Um, but Preston have been winning tight games. Eight wins and four draws in this 12-game unbeaten run. They're almost in the playoffs, but not quite. Uh, they were, George, bottom of the table in early October. I mean, that, that's not even after three or four games. That's two months into the season, bottom of the table. Uh, we've said it before, but let's say it again. What an astonishing achievement in this run. They've scored 20 goals in the 12 games, 11 different scorers. So a bit like Norwich, plenty of contributions. Only two outfield players didn't have a shot on, uh, and they only had 12 shots. Oh, nice. <laughs> Spreading it. <laughs> yeah, Fisher and Davis, the only two. Hard to defend to, uh, against if yeah. you don't know who the, uh, who the main shooting. option is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I love this Preston team. Um, and I really, you know, to, not to be biased towards a team I think because of the story and because of the, the players they've got and, and the, the way the squad's been assembled and um, you know good to see a certain Ryan Ledson getting a few more minutes these days I, I want them to do well um, and the performance on Saturday was a little bit of a concern I must say despite yeah. you know it was a huge huge goal um, but at home to Birmingham you'd expect them that to be a game that they would they would dominate in um, and I wonder I mean the point in, in you know when you're predicting What's going to happen going forward? You know, there's no point predicting a team's going to start doing badly after they've lost two games. Um, but this is a hell of a run, and you have to wonder whether it's a sustainable run. Um, and the next three games, going to Reading, who obviously their home form um, under the new manager is much, much improved, and they're, and they're battling to, for survival. And then uh, home, home games against both Sheffield United and Leeds before a trip to West Brom. Um, those are four tough, tough games. Yeah. And we're going to really see whether or not they can force their way into the playoff picture here. And I'm sadly going to say that I think this is where we might see this run come unstuck. They were 14 points off the playoffs before it. Now, outside only on goal difference, um, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. You're right. Um, they've, they've done incredibly well. But yeah, as you mentioned, that performance, that's kind of what I touched on when I said they've been winning tight games. That was a nice way of saying what, what you've just said and, and your analysis has much more depth than mine in that sense. Um, they beat a Birmingham side who are sweating on a potential points deduction. Now, uh, nothing has been decided yet as of the time we record on Monday, uh, late afternoon, early evening. Um, the, the suggestion I've seen on Twitter is, is potentially 10 to 12 points deducted. This is for I believe, uh, breaking the embargo that they were put under uh, while they were under FFP investigation. So it, it's, it's, it, it pertains to the signing of, of Pedersen, the left-back, um, and obviously that stemmed from, well, essentially what happened in the last few years with a bit of overspending. So it would be really, really difficult to see Gary Monk and his team uh, punished for, for the for maybe the, the, the lax spending, the lax uh, management of his um, predecessors and of the people who look after the club at, at the top level. Um, at the same time, we're seeing, uh, you know, we're seeing the EFL in a very tough situation, aren't we, where, where they, they have to be seen to be implementing some of their laws or rules or whatever they are, and, uh, and you, you wouldn't be surprised to see them um, you know, make a strong statement and that would be, um, well, it'll be interesting. We'll certainly wait and see what happens there and we'll comment on that when that fully uh, comes to pass. And Sheffield Wednesday, we've got to talk about them, George. You saw this one coming. They were your nap, your best bet on the betting show uh, last week. They beat Blackburn 4-2, scoring goals, um, not conceding that many. Five wins and five draws under Steve Bruce. Can they? Can they sneak in? 
I don't think so, only because of their fixture lists. I mean, there's a lot to like about Sheffield Wednesday at the moment. Um, they really, I mean, I don't like the talk of new manager bounces, but um, I think dispensing of Josla Hukai um, yeah. and his ways has been the key here. Um, and Steve Bruce, obviously, is a very, very canny customer. And their, their ability to score goals is something I just didn't really expect him to bring out of them. Um, and all kinds of goals as well. So I saw the movement of Fletcher for his goal on the weekend. I was like, he looks way sharper yeah. than I remember. I think it's just confidence as well, yeah. which is so important. I mean, they haven't lost a league game since uh, the second, since the twelfth of January. Amazing. Um, which was away at Hull, where they were beaten three um, 0 It's really, really impressive. But as I say, they've they've got tough games coming up. They've still got to play. I think I mean, eight, go, five of their last eight matches are against top ten teams. That's yeah. the headline. Um, and they go to Stoke and uh, next up, but it. it it's not going to be an easy game. And then it's Villa, Forest, Leeds, Norwich, Bristol City, Preston um, with, a, with a closing game. I mean, they'll probably win the game at home to QPR on, on, on closing day if they're, if they're still in touch by then. Um, it's, it's a hell of an ask. Uh, and But there are different, let's say they miss out, there are different prospects heading into next season than what well, we would have said six months ago. You definitely would, but you have no idea what the off-field stuff is going to be. You true. have no idea what guys they're going to be in next season. Very true. Um, it almost feels a bit unfair. I mean, for, given the owners risked, seems to have gambled so much on promotion, it would seem lo- like ludicrous if they managed to get it um, after what happened to, for, for the for the opening part. But I mean, their fans will be will be hoping for the best, and there's no reason now at all, especially at Hillsborough, why they should why they should fear anyone really. Um, the last three games have seen them cover the minus one against Swansea, Brentford, and Blackburn at home, um, and with you know four home games to come in the league. Um, three of which are against other teams who are vying for that playoff spot. Uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, they didn't, or months ago, it didn't seem much to cheer for Sheffield Wednesday fans, but at least now they've got a, a pretty exciting end to the season, at least. On a positive sense, because they're playing teams in the top 10, they can take points off the teams Indeed, in the top yeah. 10. Same as Preston. Both of those teams we're going to have a, are going to have a huge say uh, in, in the final eight games of the season. Wigan got a much-needed win, didn't they, against Bolton. They hadn't won in some time before then. And there was a lot of tetchiness uh, from Paul Cook, some of it aimed at Paul Cook from the fan base. Uh, he had some touchy comments in one of his press conferences in midweek, and you just don't like to see it when the pressure is on, uh, and you do worry. And they had enough to get past uh, a Bolton side who uh, are obviously having such a tough time off the pitch. The players uh, obviously have been paid their wages for February, but it took a bit longer than you would have expected. Uh, there's still no news on a takeover for them. Uh, I think we've been hoping for this for the last few weeks, and it's pretty imperative that it happens sooner rather than later. So hoping for some good news this week. The longer it goes on, the more desperate the situation gets for, for Bolton Wanderers. But um, in their current position, uh, at least, we'll certainly expect to see them in League One next season. Uh, there were a couple of draws just to round things off. Hull and QPR drew Jared Bowen got up to 21 goals now for this season. He's third equal top goal scorer. Um, just showing off an, an absurd finishing ability again. Uh, Ipswich and Forest drew 1-1. Ipswich, you touched on it earlier, they've drawn six of their last seven games 1-1, which is uh, random. And Reading got a good point at Stoke to move them outside of the relegation zone, one point above uh, Rotherham now. Sorry, they already were, but they've put a point between them now with Rotherham losing. Stoke themselves have drawn six of their last seven, four of them nil-nil. So Nathan Jones has managed to stop them leaking goals. He's blooded a fair few young players, but certainly still not that much to get excited about. And lastly, we've got to give a, a quick shout-out to Swansea and Millwall for their FA Cup exploits, both of them in different ways. 
uh, incredibly impressive on the weekend. And you were specifically, you felt very let down, didn't you, after that Swansea game? It just seemed very unfair, um, I think. Um, and the, I, I'm not going to argue with that. Well, no, it's it just, it just frustrating me. And it just seems such a shame that, you know, I'm a huge fan of the FA Cup. Um, and it just didn't really seem right. Uh, just, uh, I mean, we're not going to talk about VAR very much in this podcast, I guess, because it's quite <laughs> unlikely it's going to be affecting um, our leagues anytime soon. But just how you can have a competition where, where some games you can have it and some you can't. Um, and Swansea, so deserving of that victory. Um, and despite what somebody on a national radio station might say about the fact they were never going to win the game, um, which was a bizarre thing to say, given they were 2-1 up with about two minutes to play. Um it's it's just unfair, and I feel sorry for their for their fans. But Graham Potter, I think, showing that um, that any ideas that Graham Potter is out of his depth due to Swans. If you were someone, probably like the guy who said that on the radio, who doesn't have a clue about the championship and knows that Swansea relegated last season, you would look at the league table, knowing about Graham Potter, and you think mm, he's obviously not doing a great job. Um, as I said on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, I've got a pretty keen eye on them for next season. There, there seems to be some uh, similarities, I guess, with, with Norwich, where you're seeing a, a canny manager and a group of young players starting to build something. And, um, and I'm just gutted that they didn't get what they deserved against the, uh, against the champions on the weekend. Yeah, and Millwall going ahead from a set piece, an FA Cup run that was just predicated on their alarming ability to score from set pieces. And, um, and a very impressive ability that is as well. Alex Pierce with one of the great uh, high knee celebrations that you only ever see from centre-backs. And, um, and then going two up, good play from Jed Wallace there for that goal to set up O'Brien. Um, unfortunately, it was a, a goalkeeping error uh, to make it 2-2 right at the end and, and then a defeat on penalties. So another amazing uh, cup run and Millwall showing why on a game-to-game basis they are a match for... Uh, pretty much anyone at any level but as we know they are struggling in the league uh, to actually beat teams um, when they're not up for it when it's not such a big occasion uh, and perhaps when they are have a bit more favouritism to win the game that's when they struggle uh, and they come back in very much into quite an important relegation battle Guys, it's been great to hear from uh, a few of you who have been enjoying Football Index. We've certainly been enjoying tinkering and playing around with the platform, and we think that what we originally said about uh, getting EFL players on the platform that we think will grow in in stature will we'll move up potentially towards the Premier League and will therefore grow in uh, share price or, or whatever you might call it. Um, it's been a, a, a good start, a good first month or so. Um, and thanks to those of you who, who have got in touch with us and, uh, and who have shared your thoughts, your tips as well, because that is always very much welcome on our side of things. Uh, if you do want to check out Football Index, uh, do go on to the website. It's an app as well. So we would recommend that you, you read how it works. You would read more about the platform and, and if it tickles your fancy, if it's something that you think you'd enjoy getting involved with, then you can use our referral code NTT20. What that does is when you deposit £20 or more to set up your account, uh, they will give you £20 in bonus cash. So that is referral code NTT20 when you sign up to Football Index. And please do get in touch if you've got any further questions. Right, George, our, our good friend Ollie Walker, who is a League One analyst, had an insanely viral tweet that 
made me think to myself, why am I not just tweeting screenshots of the league table the whole time? Um, instead, we've got to talk about it. But essentially, Ollie uh, included the bottom 13 teams uh, in League One, because it's not just the bottom half, the bottom 13 teams. And you can quite legitimately say that every single one of them is part of the relegation battle. Um, so we'll start there, because at the top end, uh, there's some interesting things that we'll get on after this. But uh, we, we should start, I think, with Wally Downs's dons, George. And three wins in a row, they're off the bottom. Yeah, uh, as I said to you in a private message, he should be called Wally Ups. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> One of my best. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so good for them. And it's something that I think a lot of the guys who, who invest a lot in, in the data will tell you that it, it was coming, Wally or not. Um, but <laughs> Wally or not, here we come. But the, the, the turnaround of form, um, you have to credit towards him as well because it's something nobody saw coming. Uh, two, two places off the bottom now as well. Um, and just massive wins. I mean, they, they showed How the, many points from safety? But the, I mean, the South End game, just, uh, just three. Three points. The, uh, the South End game was, was kind of the antithesis of their season, I guess, where they, they faced a barrage and then managed to, to nick the winner away from home where quite often they've been the team who've been putting on the pressure only to come unstuck by, by, by a sucker punch. So, um, I literally have in my notes, it was described to us as a nothing game decided by a mistake. Dons have been on the wrong side of most of those games this season. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, they're unbeaten four now and, and the game they lost before that was the Charlton game where they went one up as well. So um, I think anyone who, who... It's important not to get carried away. We'll say this again. Um, we sat here, the two of us, talking about David Hopkins, Bradford and how they were out of it a couple of weeks ago. They're now they're rooted to the bottom of the table. We sat here after that and spoke about Stuart McCall's Scunthorpe. They are not out of it yet either. But we have to talk about these things. But we do. Otherwise we wouldn't have but, anything to talk but, but, about. But it's, I mean, all I'm saying is that, you know, you look at the recent results, they haven't conceded a goal in the last four games. It's massive. Um, they've snuck 1-0 victories against Southend and Peterborough. It's huge. Wally Downs deserves respect. We need to give them praise, but do not be fooled into thinking this is over. Um, there, there's a long way to go, and, and given that, that 12 have to go into four um, and they're still in the relegation zone, um, it, it's a massive, massive effort yet to come. But undoubtedly, they've gone from being the one team who people were, were sure were going down to just being one of the many that could. Great man, uh, Christian Goodbrand, who is at Stats Christian on Twitter. He is the EFL stat man. Uh, I work with him on the Highlights Show, and he is excellent on Twitter and, and always on the money. Uh, tweeted that Wally Downs' record at AFC Wimbledon in the league, 18 games, 25 points. Uh, before his appointment, 20 games and just 14 points. They've won three games in a row in the league for the first time this season. Um, although there is a long way to go, uh, it is, it's still amazing, even if, even if from now they don't fire themselves to safety. Um, it's still hugely impressive because in, in history, there are many teams that reach the bottom, that find themselves with a seven, eight, nine point gap between them and safety. Uh, and rather fold, and that is certainly not the case in Southwest London. Uh, uh, elsewhere in that battle, I mean, it's hard to touch on every team, but Southend, it's worrying that form, isn't it? They haven't won for a long time, uh, and that home home defeat against Wimbledon will, will not go down well with the locals. Despite all the injuries, you know, there's only so long that excuse will, will last before things start getting very twitchy. Shrewsbury fans uh, are also quite twitchy. They, they actually beat Wickham on Saturday, 
Uh, but the general consensus was that was in spite of a poor performance. And there's been plenty from the people that we follow on Twitter, uh, Shrews fans, that still seem very twitchy, very anti-Sam Ricketts, which, you know, from, from the neutral is, is surprising to hear, I suppose, because it doesn't feel like he's been there for that long. But um, I guess the feeling is that he hasn't taken them much further than, than John Askey did. Uh, and Wickham fans, that's who lost to Shrewsbury on the weekend. They're getting increasingly twitchy as well. They're in 14th. It seems ridiculous. But they're only two points above the relegation zone and their form is somewhat worrying. Uh, but the big game, really, in terms of the relegation battle, George, and this was a, a, a very important one for Oxford and Bradford, uh, I'm just going to have to ask you what on earth happened because I'm hoping that anyone listening to the pod will have some idea that there was complete carnage in the 94th minute of Oxford v Bradford. Yeah, absolute chaos. And I'm still, if I'm honest, not 100% sure <laughs> of the situation. The ridiculous thing about this is that it's... I mean, I'll, I'll run through what happened first, just so, so that people who don't know know where, where Bradford... Um, I think anyone who, who saw the game will, will, will be able to say that Oxford had the better of it and, and deserved the three points in just gameplay, <laughs> irrespective of this event. But Bradford go up um, and miss a very, very good chance in injury time. Um, the ball boy throws the ball to, to Simon Eastwood. He plonks it down and passes it very quickly out to Josh Ruffles. Uh, Josh Ruffles breaks down the left, puts the long ball over to Gavin White, whose shot is blocked, and Jamie Mackey um, has an unbelievable finish. Um, kind of flick up and then smash in, inside the area into the top right-hand corner. And, uh, you know, bedlam ensues both on the pitch and in the crowd, only for the referee to seemingly decide to, to overrule the, he's pointed you know the goal's given and he seemingly overrules his decision having spoken to the linesman on the far end and gives what people think was a penalty to which suddenly Oxford players are absolutely livid Bradford players uh, I think are, are pretty relieved not really sure what's going on <laughs> only then is there a melee on the touchline shocking when you think about it with Carl Robinson involved <laughs> and after speaking to his fourth official, surrounded by players of Oxford and Bradford. Oh, was it not the other line? And, and Carl, no, it was fourth official, okay. I think. He then reverts his apparent penalty decision and gives the goal to which Bradford players are pretty livid and Oxford fans and players <laughs> celebrate. Given that Bradford and are that now... That took, you know... Six two, minutes? Six minutes? I think, yeah. Oh, my God. Given that Bradford are now rooted to the bottom of the league... And Oxford are in 19th on 43 points. But if they had got a penalty, they'd be on 39 points. With Oxford on 40, you can see just how big a swing it is. Now, myth-busting time. Yes. Gary, Gary Boyer came out after the game and said that he was livid because it should have been a penalty. Um, and then because, or, or because of the foul on the Bradford player who missed the chance. And then the ball was rolling. And then uh, the ball never left the area. Now, what I can say is that the penalty, despite much of social media believing otherwise, the penalty was never given. Uh, the referee was simply pointing um, at for the goal kick to be retaken That's because right. of a moving ball. I think because of a moving ball, because the players inside the area, if they're not interfering with play, is um, doesn't doesn't matter. And despite what Gary Bowyer said after the game about Josh Ruffles picking the ball up just inside the area people who've seen the video are pretty convinced it was outside the area but the key one seems to be the moving ball it's very and, and very the, and the amount of players in the box when yeah, he takes that's the goal kick irrelevant not irrelevant. a rule irrelevant yeah okay. I'm afraid Gary got that one wrong okay. as far as I know please do I mean I'm not going to be stubborn about this so please do 
um, you know, inform me if I'm incorrect. But from what I've read in the Oxford local press today, which you'd hope isn't too biased because mm. it's, you'd hope, I mean, mm. it's, it's like a fact checking off piece. Right. Um, if they're not, if people aren't interfering with play when they're in the box, it's irrelevant. Um, the, the moving ball is an issue that, that it probably is an issue. I think that as Carl Robinson said in, in the press afterwards, if you're going to be on either side, you're going to feel unbelievably hard done by. The issue here isn't necessarily the infringements. It definitely wasn't a foul, um, which would have been an issue. The issue isn't the infringement, infringements. It's the complete lack of understanding of how to manage a football match from the control. Referee. And I feel unbelievably sorry for Gary Boyer and, and for Bradford fans because rarely do you ever see... I mean, as a football fan, whenever I see players arguing with the ref, I think, just shut up. He's not going to change his mind. Just shut up. He's, he's, you know, he's blown his whistle. He said what's happening. So for him to do that twice... For him to pander to both sets of players <laughs> and end up giving a goal is absolutely ridiculous. And given Bradford's position, given Gary Boyer coming into the club and this new sense of positivity surrounding it, irrespective of the balance and state of play of the game, I think even as an Oxford fan who is so relieved that the decision went our way, you have to say that it's just not right. Yeah, it was uh, it was an amazing incident, that's for sure. And uh, even more uh, confusing to me was why Jamie Mackey appeared to be wearing just a blank yellow football shirt with no sponsor, no name or anything, um, assuming there was some sort of blood incident there. But it, it did make the whole thing uh, just slightly more confusing. So just to recap, from Plymouth on 45 points, who are in 12th, that is technically still the top half. Uh, to Bradford in 24th. That is 13 teams separated by nine points. There is, of course, uh, eight games left for the majority of teams, uh, nine for Bristol Rovers and Rochdale, 10 games left for Accrington. So plenty of points still up for grabs. At the top of League One, you've got to say it was a great weekend for, for Sunderland. Um, Barnsley and Donny drew on Friday night. Another clean sheet for Barnsley. Uh, Pinnock and Lindsay were excellent, but they are struggling without Kiefer Moore, without Cameron McGeehan. Now, Dougal picking up an injury as well. They're, they're, they're slightly cursed at the moment, Barnsley. They have now got, because of Borough's concession of three goals at Villa Park, Barnsley have the best defence in the whole of the EFL, just 28 goals conceded in 38 games. But with Sunderland winning 2-1 against Walsall, George, it's in their hands, isn't it? You must be getting a little bit nervy. Why? Well, because don't you have a charity bet? Yeah, I do have a charity bet. You have to pay a certain charity if yeah, Sunderland get promoted. We also agreed it was up to the other person to uh, to match it, and I think we all know what's going to happen there. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, massive for Sunderland again. I mean, it was back to the Sunderland of old of being um, the poorer team for the, for the opening uh, part of the game and then kind of stumbling their way to victory. Um, great finish from Will Grigg. Lee Catamol doing you know amazing stuff again. To, he keeps scoring very important goals. Um, it wasn't, again, a performance you'd expect from a team being promoted from, from League One against one of the worst teams in the league, especially on form. It was the first time they've beaten Walsall in four attempts this season and they've just edged past them late on. Um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still sticking to my guns and saying that Luton and Barnsley will finish. Um, not necessarily well clear of them, but we'll finish clear of them. Um, but they've given themselves a huge, huge opportunity here. Yeah, impressive from Lee Catamol. He's... he's uh... Stuck with it this season, hasn't he? And and uh, and they've stuck with him. Adam tweeted us to say it has been very impressive the fact he's gone from being left out on opening day uh, as he was seen as part of our failure in previous years and Jack Ross didn't want his inclusion affecting new uh, the new team and the atmosphere uh, to now being back as captain and very much contributing alongside Grant Ledbetter in that double pivot in midfield uh, hugely to, to what is um, 
a huge playoff run now, and uh, yeah, and as mentioned, it's in their hands. So. And they've got their, their fixtures aren't tough. I mean, it's, gonna, it's gonna get easier before it gets tougher. I mean, the, the only issue is they've got the the old JPT coming up. Um, sorry, the uh, checker trade, I should say. Yeah. Um, and it's in its guys, but you know, the next couple of games, away trips for Atkinson and Rochdale. Um, obviously, two teams who, who points are very important for at the moment, but nothing for them to fear um, before hosting Burton and Coventry. So, as I say, they should a team of their status should be getting for, from those four games should be getting what nine nine points. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not they will, we'll see. Probably will. Yeah, Luton drew as well at home to Gillingham. <clears throat> Jill's impressive again in that game. They've they've had a tough run of form at Jill's, and even with that, have managed to drag themselves slightly away from the relegation zone. Only two points on paper, but with some uh, impressive wins against the lesser teams, and they've done very well against some of the bigger teams as well. Uh, we've mentioned it before, but they did. They were very proactive uh, on deadline day to bring in some players. It seems to have given them a little bit of a lift and that might be all that's needed to, to stay up this year. Um, Tom Eaves uh, with one of his very good games. We've touched upon this season how he seems to play very well in 66% of games and not very well in 33% of games. And that might be what holds him back uh, ever playing at a higher level. But Luton fans saying that he was the best striker they'd seen play against them this season. A great win for Portsmouth. They seem to have halted that slide somewhat. They're only four points off the automatics at the moment. Um, certainly established in the playoff places and, and uh, starting to move back into some form. Omar Bogle, a good January addition for them. He's got four goals in eight games. And then the, the, the only other thing of note, George, really in League One was Coventry beating Peterborough away to go above them. That's really taken me by surprise. Coventry now just one point off the playoffs. A real dark horse here. Yeah, really dark horse. Um, Although not if you're a big XG lover. Well, there you go. Finally <laughs> finishing off their chances. I mean... It's going to be really interesting to see what uh, what Darren McCanty does with with Peterborough now. Um, you, you know, I mean, it always is. I thought we were going to talk about Coventry, but we'll talk about the game. <laughs> um, well, just in terms of of what that has happened there since uh, bringing Darren Ferguson in, I think that he's very vocal to his credit, McCanty, of, of, of his high standards for what he's expecting of his team. And since the 1-0 win at Oxford, they have quite clearly failed to meet those standards with three defeats on the bounce. Um, so you have to wonder now again, he has tried to replace Ferguson twice before and, and has failed to find anyone better. Ferguson is, is quite clearly a manager who's happy to work under the um, watchful eye, should we say, of, of McAntony and understands how he works. Is it this just a, a meeting of convenience and will McAntony stick with a man who, who doesn't really see him up to the job that he, that he requires of him? Um, you have to think now that Peterborough getting into the playoffs is very unlikely indeed. Um, and where they go from here is, is, is anyone's guess. Um, but as you say, I mean, Coventry are, are a team massively on the up and, and who are finding their feet uh, at, at a perfect time. Um, they're going to have a tough task against Oxford hopefully on the weekend who um, who shouldn't be too difficult to beat but, but probably will be beaten it seems to be the way uh, but massive massive for them and, and I just still think that Mark Robbins as a manager just doesn't get the credit he deserves consistently improving teams at this level I, I don't think there's a safer pair of hands to, to put it to do him a discredit really um, where he's consistently he never spends too much time at a club but we're seeing him now at Coventry so he's been he's been there for what two and a half seasons um, and since taking over you know, they rallied well in that relegation season and won the checker trade. And since then, back to one promotion followed by hopefully a playoff campaign. Very, very quietly doing one of the best jobs in the EFL. Yeah, sensational. Uh, still a team 
as we've mentioned a fair few times, who, who lean on a lot of young players, a lot of youth academy graduates. So that pathway is still open at Coventry. Of course, there's still so many question marks off the field and it is a very worrisome time in that regard for the club, at the very least on it for the next eight games. They've certainly got something to focus on. Uh, and Bakayoko is hitting a bit of form up front. Enabakare has been fantastic coming in on loan from, Wick, uh, from Wolves, rather. Uh, really gives them a spark going forward. So they're looking very good. League Two is a slightly uh, tougher one to discuss, uh, George, uh, recording as we are before the Lincoln-Mansfield game. It's such an important game at the top of that division and because Berry's game was postponed as well. So uh, at the top end, there's not a huge amount to discuss apart from the fact that MK Dons uh, could only draw at home to Stevenage. Ilias Chair, as mentioned, has now scored two goals from a combined 100 yards uh, in the last week uh, and his uh, eye-catching opener was cancelled out by Chuck Sanike. But there were three very big games below uh, the top. Two of them involved the uh, playoff picture. That was Exeter Colchester and Forest Green Carlisle. Forest Green and Carlisle drew on as even, so nothing ventured, nothing gained. I don't know if that phrase really fits this conversation, but I'm going to keep it in. Do it. But Exeter, with a massive win against Colchester, and you must feel a bit sick that having gone big on Exeter about a month ago and then slightly losing the faith, this against a, a big playoff rival, and they absolutely battered them. Yeah, what's happened to Colchester? Um, I mean, th- these, two, <laughs> these two are very similar. That? They'll win like 4-0 next week. But that's week. what I'm saying. They're very <laughs> similar teams, these two. Like massive Jekyll and Hyde teams who on their day seem to be able to, to dispatch of anyone. Um, and yet can put in performances they have done now. I mean, I definitely didn't see Colchester losing the two games just gone. As they have done, I didn't see Exeter bouncing back to form as they have done at all. Um, They seem to be teams who buck up their ideas when they're they're dropping out of the playoffs. Quite hard to analyse this playoff battle, isn't it? Because you could say the same about Carlisle and Forest Green as well. Yeah, it's really tough. And Milton Keynes, again, kind of fluffing their lines a bit at home to Stevenage, um, posting ridiculously good attacking numbers again, yet only scoring the one goal and only picking up a point. Um, it is hard. It, it, you feel, you, well, I personally feel like whoever drops out of that four at the top is going to have a huge advantage going to the playoffs. Um, they seem to be the class four teams. But as we just said, Colchester, Exeter, Forest Green, Tranmere, and, and Carlisle, you can't leave them out on their day just seem to wipe the floor with, with whatever's put in front of them. So They flit between the, the sublime and the ridiculous, really, don't they? Um, I didn't think there was much between Exeter and Colchester, really, and, and maybe the fact that it was 3-0 kind of sums it up on, on any given day. Uh, these two teams are oscillating wildly between um, you know very high performance level and sometimes chucking in a stinker. We should mention that Matt Jay is on good form for Exeter. Jay's a, a youth academy product, uh, Exeter, another team who do that almost better than anyone, um, probably Crew and Colchester notwithstanding at that level. And he's never really broken into the team. Um, but in the last few weeks, he's been playing, he's been scoring some valuable and some very high-quality goals. So shout-out to Matt Jay uh, and shout-out to Hiram Boteng as well, back in the team for Exeter. Very timely return from what's been a frustrating injury for him and for the club. The really big game was at the bottom and it was Yeovil Macclesfield and Yeovil were at home and Macclesfield went there and there were six points between them at the start of the day. And now there's only three because Macclesfield beat Yeovil 2-0. A huge game. Some really nice goals scored as well uh, from Macclesfield. And yeah, there's three points between them. Same with Notts County, who are, who are level with Macclesfield. There's three points between them and Yeovil as well. Macclesfield have played a game fewer than the other two. 
this relegation battle, which we kind of said was over, is now certainly not over. Uh, I'll just mention that under Sol Campbell, Macclesfield have got 23 points from 18 games, which is certainly better than, than relegation fodder. Six wins, five draws, seven defeats. Uh, Yeovil in that time, 14 points in 18 games. So if you're just looking at the last two, three months, you'd be very worried about Yeovil. And I feel like we've spoken about them disproportionately. But maybe if we keep banging on about it, then at least we will look smart when... But okay, what, what would you do? If you were... Because I, I agree with you massively, and we've, we've criticised Darren Way a lot. Right now, you are uh, 38 games into the season. You've played a game more than Maxfield, who've just done you at home. Um, and you're three points clear of them. What what would you... I mean, if, if you were in charge of the club, what would be your, your tactic? What would be your strategy? Well, if This is your chance to show the people listening that you deserve <laughs> to be making decisions at a football club. Well, the key, the key problem is that they, that they gave him a new contract about three months ago. Mm. And it's quite a long-term contract, which means that in order to terminate that contract, you'd be looking at probably uh, a seven... No, a six-figure fee. So around £100,000, uh, allegedly, in order to, to terminate the contract to Darren Way. So I don't know if they can do that. I don't know if they have the, the funds and the means. They're not a rich team well, at this well, level they've anyway. Got, they've got the new owner. So you'd hope they do, to an extent. Well, you'd hope they do. They're in all sorts of trouble. I don't know what I would do. And, you know, <laughs> maybe that doesn't reflect well on me no, no, literally I'm, I'm running an EFL well, team. Because it's, it's just interesting that you and I have, have sat here for, for kind of months now saying why they've done this. It's desperate. And... You know, it's hitting crisis point now where suddenly their football league status is coming under threat, which when they gave him that contract, <laughs> there's not a chance. And also to give a manager a new contract when you're about to sell the club just seems absolutely ridiculous. Um, Unusual, for sure. It was, you know, it, we were flagged up to the fact that when he signed the new contract, the reaction was so negative. Yeah. And that was basically the first flag for me was, oh, OK, the fans are like, hating Darren Way at that point they were sort of 12th or 13th in the mm. table so we sort of went well let's keep an eye out for this they promptly barely picked up a point in the last 15 games so it's, there's an elephant in the room at Yeovil it's a, it's a huge issue um, it means that the players and the manager are having a tough time I imagine um, to, to raise themselves and uh, it's a pretty miserable situation so at the moment they are very much not in the relegation battle and we should make that clear um, but the loss to Macclesfield has made it a very interesting last eight games for the bottom three. Um, we should also just shout out Crew. Um, is is it something about Crew where they just sometimes absolutely blitz a team? I, I think, feel like oh, I think that was more to do with Crawley. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> that was. I mean, credit to Crew because you have to be able to put the chances away. But I mean, that defending that looked like four players who just decided they did not want to be there <laughs> yeah. at all and just wanted. As you know, again, the commentary said on the highlights. Just the idea of getting on the ball was absolutely terrifying for them. And um, Do you, we both watch an an untold amount of highlights and EFL highlights specifically. I assume you do what I do, where if a highlight starts with the centre back passing to the right back, and then him taking a, a touch and uh, playing it short back to the centre back, you start going, "Not there, not yeah. there, mate, not mm. oh no!" <laughs> and they're in, <laughs> and they were in, and I think that was Crew's fourth goal in seven minutes uh, just before half time. Um, they won 6-1 in the end. Uh, and Gabriele Cioffi uh, is kind of just having quite an under-the-radar time this season with Crawley, but uh, in many ways not particularly impressive, especially away from home. Um, but a big win for Crew. well done to them, big goal scorers of the weekend in treacherous conditions. Uh, enjoy your week, guys. We'll be back on Thursday to talk about uh, the betting show ahead of the weekend. 
Um, it's been a thrilling podcast. It's been lovely to be back together. And that is it from us.